Hello. And we're live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Guide to Existence, where we explore the weekly Torah portion Jewish holidays through the lens of Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, and Hasidus. And this week, we have a lot of amazing stuff going on. We have the nexus, the intersection of the Parshas Buchu Kosai, which is the last Parsha, the conclusion of the book of Leviticus, Vayikra, the conclusion of this, the third book of the Torah. And we have the Shabbos, really before, the Shabbos before Shavuos. But we're basically lining up for the last week of the counting of the Sphira, which ends next week, and our transition into the holiday of Shavuos, where we're commemorating the giving of the Torah, which took place on Mount Sinai. 3,000, anyone? Anyone know? 3,334 years ago. So it's it's very exciting. And I really want to try to figure out what this Parsha is teaching us about the giving of the Torah. Now, why is it so significant? Why is this week's Parsha so connected to Shavuos? Because the Gemara teaches us, the Talmud teaches us, that there are two Parshas, only two, that are deliberately lined up with the seasons, with the Jewish calendar. What are those two parshas? This parsha, Buchu Chosai, and another parsha, Kisavo, which the Gemara, which both contain curses, terrible calamities that will befall the Jewish people throughout history for not keeping the Torah. Many of these calamities we have seen throughout history actually happen, most recently with the Holocaust and anti-Semitism and going all the way back to the destruction of the Temple 2,000 years ago. Both of these Parshas that have curses, the Talmud says, have to fall out before Rosh Hashanah. So Kisavo falls out before Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah, uh, you mean the, I mean the Rosh Hashanah that you know about, which is the Jewish New Year, which happens on the first day of Tishrei, sometime in the fall. And the other Rosh Hashanah, well, what's the other Rosh Hashanah? So the Talmud says, the other Rosh Hashanah is Shavuos. Well, Shavuos is a Rosh Hashanah? Shavuos is a New Year? Well, yeah, actually, there are four New Years in the Jewish calendar. There's a Rosh Hashanah for... Uh, the, 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 the Talmud goes through the different Rosh Hashanahs. So it says in the Mishnah, in Rosh Hashanah, the first Mishnah in, in the tractate Rosh Hashanah, Arba Rosh Hashanah, there are four New Years. On the first of Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for kings and for holidays. That's Passover time. On the first of Elul, Rosh Hashanah for Meiser Behema is on the Rosh Hashanah of animals. Oh. Sorry, wrong Mishnah. Next Mishnah. <laughs> the Mishnah says, on four times a year the world is judged. On Passover on grain, on Atzeres, on, on Shavuos, on fruit of the tree. On Rosh Hashanah, all human beings are judged. And on Sukkot, the world is judged on water. So because it's a time of judgment, uh, it's connected to Rosh Hashanah, which is New Year's. Interesting. It doesn't even say Rosh Hashanah. Now I'm really confused. All right, guys. I'm going to have to go back to drawing board on that one. But the Talmud clearly states... That Shavuos is a Rosh Hashanah, even though the Mishnah that we just looked at does not say that explicitly. It says that it's a time of judgment. 
But be that what it may, be that what it may. Is that proper English? Regardless, should we have a a uh, a commandment, a a um, decree from Ezra, Ezra, who was the head of the Jewish people in the times of the the go of the first exile in Babylon, decreed that we always read this parsha right before Shavuos because of the curses. And he says, why? Because let the year end and let its curses end. It means there's a new beginning, a new chance to start over. So clearly there's a connection here. And I want to talk a little bit about these curses and try to figure out what the theme is of the book of Leviticus. What's the theme and how is it connected to Shavuos? Okay, are you guys with me? Are you ready? Let us begin. So the Parsha begins with the following statement. If you walk in my chukim, and the word chukim means like decrees or statutes, and it's referring to the Torah, my commandments. But it's, it's a kind of weird way to say it because there are different types of commandments. There are things called mitzvahs, there are things called um, mishpatim, which are like laws. And there's something called chukim, which is like decrees. And the word chok typically refers to a mitzvah that you don't understand. There are certain mitzvahs that make sense to us, and there are some that don't. And typically the ones referred to as chukim are mitzvahs that make no sense to the human mind things that are just random or seemingly or weird for example shotness not to mix wool and linen or the classic example which we'll talk about in a few weeks is something called paraduma the red cow which is the ashes of the red cow purify a person from who comes in contact with a dead body it doesn't make sense really it's not based on logic as opposed to the laws of damages, which any nation would come up with similar laws, right? And many other laws that are, even though they're spiritual, they have reasons that we can kind of understand. I'll give you an example, not to mix milk and meat, right? There's a reason behind it, not to combine life and death, uh, kindness and strength. There's, 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 there's lots of reasonings, but some of them don't make so much sense. So why is the Torah referred to here as the mitzvahs that we don't understand? says, if you walk in my statutes, that's mitzvosai tishmaru, and if you keep my commandments, and you do them, then I'll give rain in its proper time, and the world, the earth will give you its produce. Produce. I say that word weird. I don't know where I got that. And there'll be plenty and I'll give you peace in your land and from people, from sword, will not pass around and wild enemies will not hurt you. And it's going to be good. Everything's going to be good if you keep the Torah. I'll make you fruitful and multiply. And my, my, I'll place my dwelling in your midst and my spirit will be with you. And it's it's literally amazing. It's good stuff. Who doesn't want this stuff? And I will lead you to your land. I'll break the yoke of your of your enemies of slavery and oppression. 
and I will guide you kumimios, which means upright. That's the the blessings. And there are um, there are about five six verses of blessings here. And then comes the curses. But if you do not if you do not listen, imlo tishmu li, if you don't listen to me, you don't keep all these mitzvahs, then you will have lots and lots of curses. How many curses? There are seven sections of seven curses, which equals 49. 49 curses. So, sounds pretty bad, right? Sounds bad. Sound bad? We don't want those curses. So what are we going to do to avoid those curses? Well, the Parsha just told us. If you walk in my statutes. So we have a couple of problems here. Why does it say if you walk in my statutes? Why doesn't it say, you know, if you keep the Torah? Or, you know, there's other ways to say that that are much more normal. Not why walking in my statutes, number one. Question number one. Question number two. Is does anyone else have any questions on that part on that verse? If you walk in my camp, in my statutes, then I will give you good stuff. So, the another line from the Talmud is that the blessings, the blessings go from Aleph until Tuf. Im if you walk in my command starts with the letter Aleph. And it ends with, and I'll take you to your land, kamamios, upright to your land. And the word kamamios ends with a tough, which is, um, which is a, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the blessings start with the first letter of the alphabet and end with the last letter of, of the alphabet. I was, by the way, there are, um, there are 10 verses uh, of blessings sorry not 10 uh from 3 until 13 yeah 10 okay 10 verses of blessings versus 49 verses of curses why so many more curses okay but back to what i just said it says if you walk in my statutes is the beginning of the blessings and kamemios upright is the end of the blessings so my question for you, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, is where do the blessings start in these verses? Let's look again at the verse. If, this is participatory, I want to hear an answer for this question. If you walk in my statues and you, you guard my mitzvahs and you do them, I will give rain to you in its time. If I were to ask you, where does the blessing start? What would you say? When is that in the verse? Which which word in the verse explicates expresses the blessings? Is it the if you walk in my decrees, or is it I will give you rain in its time? If you walk in my if you walk in my decrees, or I will give rain time and all the trees will give its fruit and 
you'll have plenty and all the good. Guys, obvious question. Obvious answer. Not an obvious question. It's an obvious answer. The blessing starts with the good stuff. The rain and all that fruit and all that good things. The peace and all that, right? So why does the Talmud say that the blessings start with Aleph, the word im, which means if? Do you guys hear the question? That's not the beginning of the blessings. Do you get it? Everyone with me? Say yes. Somebody say yes. Okay. Good. Thank you. The the if is not part of the blessing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. So let's let's begin to expound that first verse. And then I want to try to understand the 79 curses and the connection between this week's Parsha and Shavuos and all of the, the overall theme of the book of Vayikra of Le- Leviticus. So I believe the answer is as follows. An idea I had many, many years ago, but I think it's still true, is the why is the Torah here? And, and Rashi tells us specifically, what does it mean if you walk in my statutes? Rashi says, it means if you work hard in learning Torah. If you sweat over your Torah learning, that is the source of all the blessings. What does that mean? How does Rashi know that's what it means? And if that's what it means, that you should learn hard, work hard in learning Torah, why didn't the verse say that? If you struggle in your Torah learning, why does it say if you walk in my statutes? It's very obscure. So the answer, I believe, is as follows. A human being, a human being is referred to as a walking being. An angel, on the other hand, is referred to as a standing being. Did you ever hear that? An angel is referred to as a standing being. In fact, the description of the malachim, of the angels, is that they have one foot. What does that mean? Angels don't have any feet. They're not physical. The answer is that angels do not walk. What does it mean to walk? To walk means... You have a destination in life. It means you're born in one place and you have to get someplace else. That is the message of what it means to be a human being. Is a human being is born imperfect. An angel, on the other hand, is born completely programmed to do its job 100%. An angel does not have free will. We, on the other hand, because of the fact that we're born with two different drives, we're born with an animal soul, our body. That's the spiritual side of our body, which wants animal things, immediate, instant gratification, physical pleasure, selfishness. And we're born and we have a spiritual dimension, a soul that wants connection to the infinite, to touch perfection, perfect yourself and the world to give and to grow, to become great, to become one. So because of the war between us, because we're made up of a, an animal and, a, and an angel, we have free will. Angels, pure spirituality, pure clarity in the will of God, and there's no struggle. 
They're programmed to do the will of God. That's what they do. That's what an angel is. An angel is a spiritual program. They come into this world to bring a certain spiritual energy into the world. They don't have free will. Animals, animals are pure body. They don't have free will. They go on instinct. They're programmed to follow their instinct. They also have a program. Human beings have a choice. What makes us human is we have a choice which program to follow. We have an, an angel in us that wants only to do good. That's our soul. We have an animal in us that wants only to do physical, immediate pleasure, which by definition is, is bad. And we are the chooser who decides which program am I going to put on autopilot today? Who's going to drive my car, my body or my soul? Is that clear? You guys get that? So the blessing of being human is that we have the ability to walk, to search, and to find. Why? Because we live in a world where things are not clear. That's why we have free will. So the word for the Torah here is referred to the word chok, which means something that we don't understand. And that is a metaphor here for the entire Torah. Why? Because the entire Torah is beyond our intellect. It's beyond simple understanding. It needs work in order to understand the Torah. We need to toil. We need to sweat. We need to really work on breaking down and understanding the meaning of the Torah. And, and by, by that token, we have to work on practicing the Torah as well, which means on transforming ourselves on working on ourselves, on overcoming our selfish nature in order to become godlike. So perhaps the message here is the blessings begin from the letter Aleph. The im, if, because it's that very if, if you go in my statutes. It's that if that is the blessing. The fact that we have a choice it's, an, it's up to us whether or not we do it. That itself is the beginning of the blessing. And the Torah is something that is unclear to us. That's why it's called the Chok, and therefore we have to walk in it. We have to constantly grow from one level to another. There's no such thing as standing still in this world. As I've said many times, this world is a down escalator. If you're not walking, you're going backwards. There's no such thing as standing still. That's why we have to work hard on ourselves. There's no such thing as downtime. Of course you need downtime, but the downtime is just a preparation for continuing to walk and to grow. A Jew can never be con content with where they're at. There's always the next level. There's, because we're striving to get close to the infinite, that means we're always infinitely far. That means the job is never done. As it says in the Mishnah in Perkei Avos, Lo alecha malacha ligmor. It's not up to you to finish the job. But you are not free to stop trying. We're, we're not in this world to finish the job. We're in this world to start the job and to keep pushing through until we get to the greatest level that we can achieve. So, that is, I believe, the message. Now, the blessings end with the word kamamios, which means upright. God says, I will bring you to you to the land upright. Now, there's a very interesting thing. It says 
in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that it is usher, it's forbidden to walk kuma zakufa. A person is forbidden to walk upright in this world. Because walking upright is a sign of arrogance. So therefore, Jewish law says that a person should walk with their head a little bit down. Now, I don't know if that's good for your posture, and maybe you should speak to your chiropractor before doing it. But the message, at least, we can internalize, which is to walk with humility and to not walk with arrogance. What's the difference? Because when a person walks with arrogance, essentially what they're saying is, I've arrived at my destination. I'm perfect. I'm there. And we just said the message of being a human being is that we're not there. We're never there. There's always more. So how then, ladies and gentlemen, what's the question? Talmud says it's forbidden to walk upright in this world. Torah says God will lead us to our land upright. What's the question? How should we walk? Okay. Make it better. What's the the Talmud is telling us one thing? What's the Torah telling us? Same thing or something different? Torah says God will bring us how? Kumamios, which means it means upright. Upright. So we just said a second ago it's not good to walk upright. Right? And the Torah says that God's going to bring us to our land. How? Upright. It's a contradiction. Is upright good or is upright bad? The answer is, I think, based on this, that when it says that God will bring us to our land upright, it's... Oh, uh, yeah, what does it depend on? (laughs) What's the perspective? (laughs) When is upright a good thing? When is when is upright good? Well, oh, that's interesting. Saying so you could be upright in a humble fashion. Great answer. Mike, I love it. When is it okay to be upright? When God brings you there. Beautiful. Good answer. When God brings you, then you can be upright because that's humble because you didn't get there yourself. You were brought there. It was a gift God brought us back to the land of Israel, the end of time. Messianic era. But I think another answer could be very simple, that in this world, you're not allowed to rock upright because this is the world of process. In the next world, when Mashiach comes, it's the world of destination. There we have achieved the highest level of perfection that's possible to us. And then we are allowed to go upright. Just like on Shabbos. Shabbos is a day of celebrating destination. Shabbos is day where we're not trying to perfect ourselves. We're not trying to become bigger, better, different, more. On Shabbos, we're appreciating that we've achieved something. So a person has to really have both. They have to always be striving for more when it comes to spirituality. And yet, on the other hand, they also have to celebrate their successes. That's what Shabbos is all about. Very interesting. We say that Shavuos is the Rosh Hashanah, it's the day of judgment for fruit of the tree. There's something very interesting that we see about fruit of the tree. Trees, the Torah tells us, when the world was created, the goal, the the original commandment of the tree was that that 
God created eight pre ose pre fruit trees that made fruit. And the Talmud says, why are they called fruit trees that make fruit? Just say trees that make fruit. And the Talmud answers because originally when the world was created, the tree was supposed to taste like the fruit. What does that mean? Sounds weird. The bark actually was supposed to taste like the fruit. Sounds like a very weird thing. And not only that, but the Talmud says that when Mashiach comes in the next world, Messianic era, the fruit and the tree will once again taste the same. What in the world do you think the message of that is? I think it's exactly what we just discussed. The tree represents the process. The tree represents that which is hard and doesn't taste good and takes time. The fruit represents the destination. Fruit represents the fruit of our labor. The fruit represents the, the destination, the sweetness at the end. This is a world of work. This is a world of bark. Every once in a while, we get to taste the fruit, but it's not a world of fruit. This is not a world of enjoyment. The Mishnah says that all the pleasures in this world do not equal one second of pleasure in Olam Haba in the world to come. The world to come is the world of pleasure. It's the world of reward. It's the world of destination. The word for heaven, Shamayim, is made up of two Hebrew words. Sham. Sham. It means sham. It's a place of sham. Shamness. Sham means there. It's the place of thereness. It's the place of desti destination. It's the place we're going to. It's the place of reward and pleasure. The Mishnah says, however, that one minute of Shuva and Maisim Tovim of repentance and good deeds in this world is worth the entire world to come. So one second, I don't get it. Which is greater? We just said one minute of pleasure in the next world is greater than all the pleasures in this world. And then on the same hand, we said one minute of mitzvahs and, and self-repentance, reflection in this world is worth the entire world to come. So which is better? Can someone explain to me that contradiction? Which world is better, this world or the next world? <laughs> Grass is always greener, FOMO. <laughs> so why, why, how could it be that they're both better? The Jewish answer is they're both better. How could it be that they're both better? Or they're equally just as better? Because it's apples and oranges. They're two different things. This world is better for what? For growth. The next world is better for what? For reward. Because this is the world of growth. The next world is the world of reward. Of the growth we did. Why does the reward have to be in the next world? Why does the growth have to be in this world? Because the reward is spiritual revelation. Closeness to God. If we had that now. So what would be impossible? If God was revealed to us now, the answer is growth. 
You can't have growth when you have God. Growth, by definition, exists in darkness when you don't see with clarity, when you don't see God. So this is the world of work because we don't see God. The next world is the world of pleasure and reward because that's the reward that we get is closeness to God that we earn through the work we did in this world when things were not clear. So that's the message of the fruit of the tree. And again, ties in very much to this idea that this is the world of work, of walking. Now, what's the idea of these 49 curses? So it's not coincidental. Yeah, Mike, you're going to say something? <laughs> okay. Does anyone know the significance of the number 49? Seven squared. What's the significance of seven squared? So the, the the Talmud actually tells us the end of the curses, it says the land will remain desolate because of the Shemitahs, the sabbat, sabbatical cycle, and the earth will reclaim its sabbatical years. We have a mitzvah just like every seven days is Shabbos. We talked about last week, every seven years is a year of Shabbos. So there's a seven-year cycle. There's a seven-day cycle, a seven-year cycle, and there's a 49-year cycle, which every 50th year, there's there's an extra year called a jubilee year, a yoival, where all slaves go free, all land returns to, to its original owners, and all loans get nullified, and lots of good stuff for a full year. So... The Talmud says that one of the reasons why we get kicked out of the land of Israel and all these curses befall us is because we didn't observe these sabbatical years properly. We didn't keep the seven-year cycle. And as we just mentioned, the message of the seven-year cycle is that God creates a physical world, and then God fills that physical world with spirituality. The six days of the week, the six years of the, of the sabbatical cycle are meant for work working the field, working on yourself. The seventh is a day that's me'en olam haba. It's a taste of the world to come. On Shabbos, we taste the destination. We taste the reward. We taste the accomplishment of what we've gained from those six days of working on ourselves. Seventh year, we taste the accomplishment of the seven years of having working on ourselves. The 49th and 50th year, we taste the reward of having done seven of those cycles. The number seven represents the world of nature. The world of nature, the completion of the world of nature. Six are the six days of the week, six sides of a cube. Six represents the sides, the disparate sides of the physical world. Seven represents the inner space, the soul which ties together those six dimensions. Seven represents the completion of the physical world. That's why there's seven colors in a rainbow, seven, seven distinct notes in a musical scale, seven seas, seven continents, seven orifices, seven main parts of the body. Number seven represents the completion of physicality. But there's more. According to Kabbalah, there are seven primary emotions in a person. What else has the number 49? The days between Passover and Shavuos. 
And there's a special mitzvah between Passover and Shavuos to count the 49 days of the Omer. And each day we work on a different permutation of those seven energies combined with one of the other seven energies. So if you take all of those energies, seven emotions that make up a human being, in Hebrew, it's chesed, gevur, teferes, netzachod, yesod, malchus. In English, kindness, strength, harmony, dominance, submission, connection, and revelation, expression. Those are the seven different emotions. They're very deep. There's a lot to talk about. But each day of the seven weeks of the sphere cycle, we work on a different one of those energies combined with another one of those energies. So today, tonight, is Hod Shiba Yesod. Tonight is the energy of submission within the energy of connection. How can we learn to submit ourselves in order to connect to another? That's just one possible explanation of how to, what this one means, but there's lots of different books that talk about the different energies and how we can work on them each day. But the goal is to bring us to the 50th level, which is the receiving of the Torah. The, the Talmud tells us there are 50 levels, there are 50 levels of holiness in this world, and that is contrasted against the 50 levels of impurity. When the Jewish people were in Egypt, we reached the 49th level of impurity, the commentaries explain had we stayed one day longer, we would have reached the 50th level of impurity and we would have been lost forever from spirituality and from God. We were taken out of Egypt and then we were given 49 days to climb back up the ladder to get up to the 49th level of holiness. It says that no one reached the 50th level of holiness except for Moshe, I believe. And that is the, day, the giving of the Torah. 50th level, which is beyond the cycle of 7 times 7. The Torah is the 8th dimension, that which is beyond the physical. And that's the supernatural. That's the Torah, 49, above 49. 7 times 7 is 50, which corresponds to the number 8, which is beyond the world of nature. That's the Torah, the supernatural. The guidebook, blueprint for the world of nature, for the physical world. So these 7 days... What do we do? We work we work on we work on perfecting our behavior, our emotions, which is very interesting. How can you fix your emotions? Emotions aren't really in your control. The answer is that we can learn what to channel our emotions towards, towards the right things. Right? Learning to focus our emotions on the right things. And then we receive the Torah. The Omer offering is a barley offering. Barley in the Torah is considered animal food. When we get to Shavuos, we, receive, we bring bread. It's the only time that bread is allowed in the temple. Wheat bread. Why? Because the whole story is a story of transformation from animal food, from animal to angel. That is the journey 
of the process of Passover until Shavuos. And it's the mission of the Jewish people to transform the physical world, to transform the animal, to channel the animal nature, to be subservient to the angel within us. To take the animal and turn it into an angel. Rabbi Akiva, I mentioned before, was asked by a Roman, who makes better stuff, God or man? You remember the answer? Who makes better stuff? What did the Roman think that Rabbi Akiva would say? Of course, we're Jews. God makes better stuff. Rabbi Akiva said, wrong. Man makes better stuff. God makes wheat kernels, and man turns those wheat kernels into bread. That's the message of Judaism, that we were given raw materials in this world. We were given an imperfect unfinished world our job is to transform the world and perfect it tikkun olam to make the world a better place than it was when we came in and by that token ourselves to transform the raw materials we're given to make bread out of wheat and i believe with this theme we can understand the completion of the book of leviticus by Ikra. The book begins and ends really talking about animal sacrifices. The whole book is really devoted to the work that was done in the temple. The sacrifices, animal offerings, karbanos. Why are we so into these animal offerings? And we've talked about it a little bit before um, in previous years, maybe a little bit this year. What's the significance of the animal offerings? The Ramban, Nachmanides, explains the purpose of the animal offerings is to literally take your animal nature and offer it up to God. What's the symbolism of burning an offering? These animals were sacrificed in the temple, slaughtered, and then their body, some of it was eaten, but it was based, some of it was, a lot of it was eaten, but some of it was just burned up on an altar. What's the symbolism of burning something up on an altar? Let's get poetic. Guys, anyone want to offer? Yes. Amazing! Returning it to its original state. When you burn something, you literally take the thing that was physical and you turn it into energy. You make it spiritual. It goes up in smoke. It's elevated. It literally symbolizes our job in this world to take the physical we were given and uplift it, elevate it. That's the message of animal sacrifices is my body is taking me away from what I'm supposed to be doing. So really my body should be put up there on the altar, but we're not, we fortunately don't have to give our lives up for God. We have to live for God. It's much harder to live for God than to die for God. Our job is to live with the spiritual idea of transforming our physical into spiritual. That's the message of the book of Leviticus. That's the message of the counting of the Omer to go from an animal offering barley to bread to a human offering, to transform ourselves by working on the seven elements of within ourselves. Seven curses correspond to those seven aspects of nature, seven aspects of the world, which can pull us away from God or can bring us closer to God if we can uplift those things. Instead of letting the world dominate us, letting our animal dominate us, we can ride the animal. We can use the animal to uplift the physical world. This is a world of work. This is a world of walking. 
because it's not clear. The blessings begin from the word im, if, because the ifness, the darkness, the chance that maybe we won't listen to God is where the blessing lies because we're made up of, a, of two opposite drives, a drive towards spirituality, a drive towards physicality, an animal and angel in one body. We have the ability to be pulled in two different directions. Therefore, we're the only creature in all the universe, in all the cosmos that has free will. And that free will is the very blessing that gives us the ability to grow and to walk. And that differentiates us from the animals and from the angels because both of those are stand still, but we have the ability to walk and to grow. And that, I believe, is our preparation for Shavuos, that the curses should end this year, that we don't need curses anymore because next week we're going to receive the Torah. We're going to be so refined. We're going to have worked on ourselves. And even all it takes is one second of, of working on yourself to be ready to receive the Torah. If you didn't do it yet, Tonight's, it's not too late. You could do it today. You can do it tomorrow. And even the last minute up until Shavuos, we can still try to better ourselves. Think of one way to become a better person, a slightly more refined, more caring person, to care more about other people, to care more about ourselves, and to care, have a better relationship with God and the mitzvahs. If we can do that, then we're ready to receive the Torah. And we don't need curses because the purpose of the curse is just to get us to wake up. And if we're awake, we don't need to be woken up. That's why we stay up the whole night of Shavuos, because we want to have a year of blessing. What's the greatest blessing is growth. Growth takes place when you're awake. So I want to wish you all a beautiful Shavuos, and I'll probably see you again next week.